coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. And the other tip, I think this is the most really important one, frankly, is getting the kids in the kitchen. Like I have my own Nourishment Mindset podcast episode where Fletch and I are in the kitchen. I'm sure we'll do another one, but starting early, you know, because you can transfer habits generationally. And when they're part of it, it's fun, you know, and and now they're they're learning, they're engaging with you. You know, I'm usually sipping wine, I'll admit, um, but it's just it's <laughs> fun, right? And yep. you get to teach them. And so, of course, you know, as I said, my poor kitty as a health coach mom, we're in the store. I want this. No, but I don't just say no. Here's why we're not buying this. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed health coach, author, and podcast host of The Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Lee Huey. We discussed all about drinking quality wine, along with the importance of eating nutrient-dense foods, tips to nourish your kids, eating mindfully to create satiety, creating a health account to measure your progress, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Dixie. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin. And I have Dixie Lee Huey to the show. Welcome. Thanks so much, Brian. It is an honor to be here. I love your show. Thanks so much. And I was checking all the things that you've been up to and your book, The Nourishment Mindset. Um, what uh, what sort of uh, prompted you to write that book and um, what's the basis behind it? Well, that, sir, is an excellent opening and loaded <laughs> question when you hear the answer. Well, we'll, we'll get into it specific portions of the book, but maybe just what sort of um, inspired you to write the book? Yes. Well, that's yeah. why to me, I, I laugh because what inspired me at first to write the book was seeing a woman um, struggling. I used to live um, in the Portland, Oregon area, struggling to get in a vehicle due to her size. And I, I felt horrible for her. And I was noticing this is now, almost 10 years ago, just all around me, it seemed like there was more and more, not just, you know, I had 10 or 20 to lose, but like obesity, morbid obesity. And I will admit something that's not comfortable to admit. When I started, um, my book was called Not Fat or Get Not Fat or something. And it was basically this just like explosion of thoughts, many of them controversial. Um, and I hired a writing coach and she said, you know, I've known you for years. Like this doesn't seem like the Dixie I know. And so my thing of why does it take people so long to write books? I'm going to have this sucker done in six months turn into a seven year mm. process. So that's why it's funny to me. So the nourishment mindset was born out of this initial spark of, oh my gosh, there are so many people suffering all around me. And over time, it morphed into, to me, the missing piece of the metabolic puzzle. You know, everyone in our sort of space knows about macros and, and all of the things that health people tend to talk about, but I don't find us talking a lot about the culture of the pleasures of the table. 
And this is where the nourishment mindset is is different. I see. And you've been, before you got into writing books and doing health coaching, you've spent 20 years, you were dining with farmers and chefs and winemakers around the world. <laughs> I know <laughs> who stops a career like that. That's what my mother said. Yeah, You're going fun. what are you doing? You get to travel around the world and, and hang out with winemakers. And I mean, it was, it was glorious. I owned a wine marketing company and also worked with olive oil producers, cheese producers, chocolate producers. So, you know, what does that have to do with health coaching? We're again, we're back to this idea of the nourishment mindset. So Whereas in our culture in America, we don't tend to have like a lot of table side traditions other than say stuffing ourselves at Thanksgiving <laughs> and then dieting come January 2nd. But right. in Europe, in, in many places around the world, there are these just cherished table side traditions. And this is where it dawned on me. In fact, it was, um, I used to work for this family called the Symington family. They're the largest landowner, the biggest port and, and Duro wine producer in the world. And it's a private company. And at any given time, I was their director of U.S. marketing. You're sitting outside under a pergola. People are speaking four to five different languages. And you're sitting there eating lunch, getting business done, but you're really savoring what you're doing. And I find my, I found myself that particular afternoon counting calories. And I thought, Dixie, you are not being fully present. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you're yeah. with some of the top winemakers and chefs in the world. Why are you counting calories? So hmm. that was an aha moment for me. I am curious, being in the industry that long, what have you learned about wine and how it's produced um, from near 20 years of experience? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I, I still love wine. I will, I, there's, there's too much to tell, you know, okay. secretly or not so secretly. I'm a sommelier. I've done all the, you know, I used to judge wine competitions where you sit there for eight hours and you're tasting 500 wines and your mm. tongue is like, it's very hard to do that. I know there's a lot of sympathy on your, <laughs> I will give you the parallel because there's like so much to talk about with wine. We could do a whole thing on wine. Um, but the, the funny thing about wine is the more you know, um, you realize that you know nothing, but that's a lot of topics. The parallel with health coaching. So in wine, winemakers, wine people like to talk about, it's a French word, terroir. Okay, so what the heck is terroir? Is this wine snobbery? No, it's this beautiful word that is meant to encompass the soil, the sun, the vineyard aspect the winemaking practices, you know, am I biodynamic? Am I organic? Or am I spraying a bunch of pesticides? You know, so there's myriad of factors that goes into creating a terroir, or we could call it a microclimate, but doesn't terroir sound so much cooler? <laughs> you know, the winemaker's part of the terroir. So I liken it to we, all of us have our own terroir, right? So how much sun exposure? How much sleep? What am I ingesting into my body? Who am I surrounding myself with? And so if you want to get wine geeky and health coach geeky at the same time, you know, I encourage people to think about their own terroir. Are there, do you have any health concerns? I mean, wine has been, uh, there's been claims that wine obviously has a lot of health benefits, but also then you have people who say that they have issues with wine 
you know, because of the, um, I don't know, the tannins or the, the compounds that are in it that could cause some issues. And some people might be more sensitive to them than others. Is there anything concern on, on your end from that? Sure. I mean, I think this is where it comes down to individual terroir, if we stay with that line of thinking. So mm-hmm. you can find, just like in nutrition, you know, you can find right. a study that says animal products are going to kill you. They're going to raise your LDL and clog your arteries, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And then I said, please read Nina Teichel's book, Big Fat Surprise. But I digress. Um with wine, there are studies that say, oh, well, um, there's this French paradox and, you know, their, their, their light wine sipping is what's responsible for their longevity and relative lack of chronic disease. And then you, you can find everything in between. I'll tell you, Wine Spectator, the magazine, does a really good job of promoting all the health benefit articles and not so much discussion of the <laughs> other, the other side, right? right? And so I think it comes down to individual. I mean, it, you know, it, it's also the dose is the poison, you know. So if you look at someone who's a moderate wine drinker, if their metabolic markers are, are good and they're living their best life, you know, then is it harming them? Well, that's going to be up to them because there are also people that say any amount of alcohol is poison, you know, and I get it, you know, maybe it's inflammatory. Um, so I think it just comes down to the individual, you know, if it's a complement to your lifestyle and it brings you some joy, um, you know, for me, it certainly does. I love the pairing of wine and food. I think it really helps us experience the pleasures of the table, but it's not necessary to drink wine. And I will add that there there is a difference between like a beautifully crafted wine and I'm not going to pick on a brand, but just think of everyone's hated beer brand um, <laughs> or liquor. You know, it's it's very, very different uh, in, in processing. And I think alcohol gets sort of lumped in one thing. So um, but then there are people to get back to your, you know, some of your specifics of your question. Some people do suffer. Um a lot of people blame tannin. Some people blame sulfites. Um, those who are blaming sulfites should ask themselves, do I have a reaction to peaches? Because peaches are high in sulfites. You know, It could be something else about the wine. But if someone's experiencing ill effects, well, then that's the body's way of saying, like, this isn't for me. And, and some people who can enjoy white can't enjoy red. I met the first person a couple of weeks ago that I've met in all my years of drinking wine, two and a half decades, who's allergic to white wine and can mm. drink red. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what about in in your book? You talk about we'll get back to the food part. Is like nutrient density. Um, we always hear everyone talking about eating whole foods, and obviously now we're a culture that seems to uh, grasp onto, um, you know, the fast food industry and processed foods, but. What 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 do you look at when it comes to nutrient density in foods? Right. So I think this is one of the most important concepts in living a vital life. Because we, you know, I'm 45 and I was always taught to, you know, count calories, keep them low, avoid fat like the plague, you know, and in that mindset, I can have thousand calories of gummy bears or an awesome ribeye and they're just one and the same right 
So nutrient density, that's the the newer lens that, of course, you're aware of, um, where you're, I like to explain it this way. I, I tend to be like a straight talker, and I don't tend to geek out unless someone wants to geek out. But <laughs> what is this bringing to my body? What benefit am I getting from this food? So if we go back to the ribeye, oh my gosh, you know, amazing, you know, cows are are ethereal beings that turn grass into one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. And then to go back to the gummy bears, what is that bringing me? Like so far, all I can find is maybe it tastes good, but then it's like the inflammation of sugar. So what are the sort of side effects of this food? And I'm not aware of any beef side effects. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, both what it brings and then what's the cost of that. Well, and I, and I think and you mentioned it earlier. It's like um, I always say, being present when you're eating is really important, and maybe making sure that you're always eating at a, at the table and mm-hmm. not on, on the run or in the movie theater or in your car, <laughs> because I think that's where um, people get sort of, I would say, screwed up in a sense when it comes to eating is if they can be present and be at a table, um, that can go a long way. A hundred percent. So what I call this in my private practice, which is called Faber fat, and I don't, people will say, what do you, what kind of fat, like P-H-A-T? No, I mean like F-A-T, dietary fat, Faber mm-hmm. that. Um, but what I see a lot of, and I just happen to work with a lot of um, middle-aged women. I work with men too, but I don't have a lot of 20-year-olds reaching out. I don't have a lot of 60-plus reaching out. So I call it the fridge drive-by, the pantry drive-by. A lot of moms are, and I want to say the word guilty because it's coming to mind, but I don't mean that. That's sort of that good behavior, bad behavior. And we really ought to try to not you know, label things necessarily that way because it can create shame. But there's habits of plate cleaning. So you got three kids, you serve them whatever. Maybe you haven't taken the time to nourish yourself. And instead of sitting down, as you said, and maybe enjoying food with your kids or on your own, you're just sort of sweeping food off the kids' plates as you're doing the dishes and the laundry and 10,000 other things. So plate cleaning, fridge and pantry drive-bys, like these don't And I don't have any science to back this up, but I do know a lot of French people because I spend a lot of time there. This is like a foreign concept in their culture. And I have joked that I would love to do some biomarker testing amongst a table of French people sitting at a dinner for three or four hours. You know, what's happening to, to blood sugar? If there was a way to measure joy you know, you're not getting <laughs> these drive-bys are, are not really a, a source of joy. And I, I think I would go out on a limb and say it's possible that this could elevate cortisol because you, it's how is the digestion working optimally if we're literally on the run while eating? Right. So. If there were if there was like a study with the, you took people and they ate the same food. But one ate it really fast and on the run, and the other one took two you know, two hours to to eat that food. Like, what effect would it have on your body differently? Uh, I think that would be cool. And and I, I we probably all know that if you if you are sort of intentional when it comes to eating and and chew your food and take your time, I mean that can go a long way. Well, just satiety. I mean, the one thing right. we do know, you know, the, the the type of study I dream about. 
Um, probably will never be done. No one wants to fund that. But we do know that it takes time after you consume food to have that satiety effect. You know, we, we're filled with different hormones. Um, and, you know, leptin needs a little time to come out of the gate. Um, and so if we're on the move, of course, we're going to be, you know, eating potentially more than we need to. And, and you laughed at the two hours, but a real thing, at least in Southern France, I've been to many five hour Sunday lunches mm. and there is no dinner in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> <laughs> so they eat. So in France, they eat breakfast, a big lunch, and then do they not eat dinner? Well, on Sunday's kind of a different day oh, yeah, traditionally. Sunday. Okay. So Sunday, I doubt there's much going on in breakfast. French people are not big, you know, jump up and start eating folks. It's usually the, the coffee and maybe a nip of a baguette or or something or nothing, really. Lunch is a very important meal. You're not like putting crumbs in your keyboard. You're you're pausing to eat lunch. <laughs> and then dinner tends to be lighter, but still the other thing they do is they serve in courses. So there's a wonderful book uh, called French Kids Eat Anything. So if any of your listeners are everything, rather, French Kids Eat Everything. Mm. It, to me, it's a fascinating book because it's written by an American who basically goes into, you know, how to raise kids that are good eaters. And, and one of the tricks is serve, first of all, have them come to meals hungry. All this snacking that is so foreign in France and in Europe in general, like it's just not done. They need to show up at the meal hungry. And then the first course, you know, for all of our picky eaters just happens to be something to do with vegetables. And if they are hungry enough, they will eat. And then the courses, of course, allow you to make a, a beautiful presentation, but also to what we were just talking about, slow the meal cadence down. And they yeah. can be simple, but it's not all at once. Yeah, I I find my wife and I eat pretty fast. <laughs> like what I try to like get up and like slow it down a little bit, but fast in the sense of, you know, not, we don't like rush, but it feels like it takes, you know, we prepare our own food pretty much and eat try to eat at home every night, which I think is another key. Oh. Uh, but but it 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 takes an hour to prepare and then you're done in like t 10 minutes. Um, well, this is where wine can help. Another thing that's <laughs> helpful is at a French dinner party, if there's not a little bit of chaos, you're considered a bore. So whereas we're taught to not discuss, you know, the three topics, religion, politics, sex, those are like the prime topics at a French mm -hmm. dinner party. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they have more political parties, so it doesn't come to blows. <laughs> it just, yeah. No one agrees. So it is. It's the conversation. That's the element of conversation is what can help draw draw the wheel out too. That makes sense. Yeah. What what else in your book that you like to highlight? I know you talk about um do you talk about cholesterol? I, I listened to some of your podcasts. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you So I uh my favorite chapter to write, and of course I said it took me seven years, so everything got rewritten seven or seventeen times. It's called it's chapter 18, I believe. It's called CPS. And this is a diagnosis that I doubt any of your listeners have ever heard of. It is one I created. It is called cholesterol paranoia syndrome. Um, and so this chapter details it. My book is it's not one of these what I call health coach hill. 
This is not like I'm some genetic unicorn talking about how I, you know, rise at 5 a.m. and levitate. And you know, I'm just like a real person who, frankly, you know, struggled with anorexia and bulimia as a teen, who struggled with middle age spread in my 30s when I was building that agency and started to just really lose my vitality. So part of the reason I wrote this book is because the knowledge that I gained, I, I felt compelled to share. So much so that I felt compelled to shutter my wine marketing agency and become a health coach and go back to school again for more postgraduate work. Um, so to get back to CPS, the this you know this epidemic, I'll call it. It's an epidemic amongst the medical profession and just our society as a whole. This cholesterol paranoia syndrome. So just that chapter goes into detail, it really points readers to other sources who have done more work in this area. But I do share a personal story of one morning, I woke up with blurred vision in one eye. And I was terrified. Am I stroking out? Like, what's going on? I'm 40 years old. This is, you know, I'm in awesome metabolic health. I don't have problems. Um, and I got sent to an eye specialist. And, you know, here I am thinking, you know, do I have a health emergency? Because it sure felt like it. And the first thing he said to me, I call him, I think I call him Dr. Eyeball Staten in the book, was, are you aware of your high cholesterol? I'm like, buddy, like, I can't see. Like, I don't, my high cholesterol of 240, you know, with my 90 HDL, like, what are you talking about? But that's how, you know, the the medical, traditional medical industry is trained. And so I just felt compelled to shed light on that because frankly, something that pisses me off is the number of statin pills being swallowed all around the US and all around the world every day that are causing untold side effects and often are are not warranted. But that's that's a Dixie diatribe. So I'm going to zip my lips. So what did what ended up happening um, from that health scare? <laughs> <laughs> um, thankfully, I can still see, so I'm I'm very grateful for that. Uh, he really couldn't figure out a re. He was just able to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. My vision came back an hour later. What I learned probably a year later, because I started a, a few times in my life in the last five years, I've experienced. It's very hard to describe, but neurological issues. And so I decided to go have a brain scan because, you know, my my issues were, were not a laughing matter, even though I was trying to laugh them away. But what would happen is, um, you know, there was one morning I was cooking breakfast with my son in the kitchen and everything just got too loud. Mm. And so, you know, people have these migraines, right, where you get these auras and I always associated a migraine with, you know, the primary symptom of a splitting headache. Mm -hmm. Well, what I found out, thank goodness, um, is that my brain's fine, but these are called silent migraines. And so you don't actually have to have a splitting headache to have a migraine. And thankfully, it's very rare. But the symptoms that I experience are either this amplification of volume or blurred vision. And the problem with this whole thing is you, you're not, there is no warning system. It's not like a hurricane coming here to Southwest Florida where we see it in the ocean. 
it's just a thing that, you know, when, when you get it, you can, I was prescribed pills, which I don't take. Um, but what I do is just sit down and remove myself from stimulation Mm. and it always passes. So it's probably just a sign from the higher power that I need to chill out and take a break. Got it. Okay. So, um, I know you talk about, you know, you're over counting calories and macros and things like that. What type of sort of guidelines do you have for your clients or yourself that you sort of follow on a daily basis? So what really helped me was, again, what you, um, you know, rightly asked about just this lens of nutrient density. And so instead of worrying about fat grams in a, in a ribeye, um, or furthermore, the butter that you might have cooked that in, um, it's more, I need to make sure that I'm nourishing myself. And so that's, as you know, single ingredient, real whole foods, making sure that I'm getting enough protein, which many people are deficient in, you know, and especially, I mean, you're a trainer, you know, when you're more active, you know, more protein. Um, and, and then really trying to tune into the body's hunger and satiety signals. And so that's where that slowing down that nutrient density approach, like, so if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat real whole foods, I'm certainly not going to count the calories. But if I'm not hungry, just because it's supposedly time to eat, I'm also not going to eat. Um, so I think mine is more of this, like, being in tune with your body, it's the exact opposite of some diet, which by the way, rhymes with riot. Um, eat half a cup of cottage cheese and a tomato at 9.02 AM. You know, it's just, um, it, it, you know, so the other thing I say to my clients is when you eat, really eat, like sit down right. and eat. Don't just pick. <laughs> no grazing. That's the worst advice ever given. Just like act like a cow. You know, if you want to graze, then go in the field and eat grass. But, you know, we're not, we shouldn't be grazing in the pantry, the drive-bys, all of that. You know, when you eat, eat, you know, and when you're done, you're done. And and I think, frankly, my number one tip when I'm working with someone is, you know, cut the snacking. Just stop the snacking. Like what other culture in the world does this? Yeah. It's bizarre. Well, it's interesting. I think people that fall in line that snack a lot are people that maybe aren't having those nutrient-dense foods. Yes during the meal and not being, you know, present and eating enough, which is another, another thing. And I'm, I'm, and my next question is, do you find, since you work with a lot of women that they're not eating enough? Absolutely. All the time. Hmm. And while I am not someone who personally does food logging, I do think that it can really help show clients their eating patterns. And, you know, so it's not a lifestyle that I want to espouse, <laughs> putting everything into an app, counting every step. I mean, to me, that's so not nourishment mindset. If I'm out for a walk or a jog, I just want the sun on or the rain, whatever you get um, on my skin. I want the fresh air. I want the, you know, the, the feel good boost afterward. But I do think that the food logging can be really illustrative of how many times a day are you putting 
anything in your mouth. Um, and what in a whole day or week, how are you nourishing yourself? And often we find, you know, protein we talked about like women and severely lacking protein, but also restricting calories, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Mm-hmm. And, and that certainly, you know, stalls if someone's got a weight loss goal, you know, at a certain point, it's going <laughs> to, it's not going to support your goal of weight loss. So I do think for, for temporary, I, 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 I pitch it to use my old PR background as a little test. Let's just run an experiment and just see, because my hypothesis is that you're not eating enough and that you're protein deficient. And a big one that I see almost more than protein is I would say, and everyone kind of looks at me cross-eyed, but like you're deficient in natural fats. I can guarantee it. Um, And that's just what we see, but everyone's afraid of fat. So and no, I, I agree. I think I'm not a huge logger and my, with my clients, mm-hmm. I think initially though, like you said, it's not a bad idea, at least for a few days or a week to have an idea as to like what you're consuming. Cause sometimes you don't realize what you're consuming unless you're actually oh. writing it down or, or logging it on an app or, and seeing how many calories you're eating. Um, even though obviously I know it's not all about calories, but you'll know, you do notice, uh, some people are under eating quite a bit. And I actually just had this uh, gentleman, Ryan Baxter on, um, he's a health coach as well. And, you know, he realized he was for the activity level that he was putting out, he was under eating, um, and restricting too much. And I think that like restriction is something that people just go to as like a way to cure everything. (laughs) Should we know, should we restrict the macronutrient? Should we restrict our calories? And like, sometimes that's not always the answer. Totally. And to me, that's just, again, that's diet riot culture. You know, who likes diet culture? Big food, big exercise. (laughs) I rip on all of these in my nourishment mindset. (laughs) (laughs) And frankly, big pharma, because why not just throw them in there? Um, But yeah, I mean, that serves a lot of people to have us all freaking out over calories. and, and, And it's sort of that, hey, look over here, you know, but what's really going on? Um, and if this is all new also, like, you know, I know other people in the health space say this, but go look at a picture from the fifties, you know, black and white, like where's the morbid obesity grandma or great grandma knew what she was doing. And I remember as a bratty teenager in North Carolina, going to family reunions at my great aunt's house, she was an amazing cook and baker and being like, Oh my gosh, like she keeps bacon fat on the stove. It's so disgusting. These hillbillies have no idea what they're doing. And it's like, <laughs> but here's this elegant, glowing woman in her 70s who never had a weight problem, um, was always vital. And it's it's like, yeah. well, I guess, I guess great aunt knew. Yeah, well, you know, back in the day, they used to have like organ meats was like a staple, right? Like liver and tongue. I think my grandfather Steep and full of nutrients. <laughs> <laughs> so I think adding, you know, I know and that's not for everybody, but I will say I do. My wife makes, makes liver and onions and I do enjoy that. Oh, good for y'all. You know, okay. I'm going to admit something. You know, I said, I don't live on health coach Hill. I have tried. I have tried all the organ <laughs> meats. My dog loves the organ meats. Travis, yeah. the new, but mine that I cook 
tend to end up uh, in his bowl. But what I will say is I do have a trick and my family now is aware of this, but for years, what I did is I took the organ meat frozen. Someone, I think it's awfully good cooking, O-F-F-A-L, maybe L-Y, um, has this trick where you shave frozen organ meats into a burger uh, patty. There you go. And like that, that we can do. And it's nice because like I buy from this local farm in Florida, in South Florida, and like the liver is, you know, it's a huge piece. And if like your wife's doing this and y'all, y'all can take that down. But in my family, that's just going to go to waste. But what I can do is, you know, frozen shave into the burger patties. And that way we're getting our two ounces of liver a week. And I don't have to choke down liver and onions because I will be honest, Brian, I have not found a wine pairing <laughs> that, you know, wine can solve a lot of taste issues, but the liver, I just can't do it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just going to say something about that. Um, oh, there's a company called Force of Nature and they make a ground meat. And there's a few other companies. There's more than just them, but uh, where the organ meats are mixed in. Awesome. Ground meat. Yeah. So you really can't, you can't even tell, like you could serve it to anybody. They're like, oh, this is great. Like, well, you know, there's liver and heart in there. You wouldn't even yeah, but know. You can't tell, <laughs> especially those picky children. They'll never know. And what, you know, it, it's also my other pro tip for kids is um, I will, I'm a big fan of raw or fermented rather uh, cod liver oil for its fat soluble vitamin count. And, you know, my kid does not, you know, I do shots of it. It's, you know, it's now funny to me. Mm -hmm. I sneak that into his smoothies mm. that are, you know, of course, uh, full fat milk, cream, Full fat yogurt, maybe a banana, um, something to hide what I also put in there, which is cod liver oil. <laughs> he has no idea. Yeah. And how many kids do you have? Just one son. Just one Poor son. guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're just throwing everything at him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, what other advice would you have for parents for getting their kids to maybe eat nutrient dense foods or, or like, uh, on a, you know, eat healthier in general? Right. So the, you know, there's above board advice and then there's the below board sneaky advice. The <laughs> sneaky advice is that putting the liver and the cod liver oil into things, what they don't know won't hurt them. Right. Um, it's a need to know basis. So I think, you know, we talked about serving courses, which I know probably a lot of people are now like rolling their eyes. I do not have time for this, but this doesn't have to be a production. It really doesn't. I think we, if, when you hear the word courses, you think of white tablecloth, fine dining, right. but really, no. I mean, the first course could be some sliced tomatoes and I'm a weirdo. I take the skin and the seeds out because the plant toxins, but that's mm. not necessary for everyone. Um, maybe with some, uh, whole milk mozzarella cheese and some avocado. I mean, that's like an, that's my kid's favorite, as he says, starter um, with some <laughs> olive oil, balsamic vinegar. Another trick that I love, I love this company. I don't receive any compensation from them or anything like that, but it's called Pluck. Are you aware? Of yeah. Pluck? I had them on my podcast actually. Oh, great. Well, you know, you're shaking the organ meats on to get back to the awful the seasoning, the seasoning. Yeah. Yes. And he loves that. And he, he finally asked me about a year ago, Mom, what's in this? And I was like, well, 
I know how much you love it. So do you really want to know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but they do a great job, you know, and so, you know, that's not necessarily a vegetable starter because the tomato is a fruit, but it certainly has a lot of like great nutrients in there. Another thing we like to do um, is almost like, you know, a shared appetizer is, you know, some, a, a, like we call it a smorgasbord. So, you know, there's <laughs> olives with some olive oil and like a, a nice sprinkled finishing salt, um, chop, you know, carrots. My kid is like a horse. He loves carrots um peppers and and then just the most simple homemade ranch dip you know we actually made this last night and i said fletcher is his name yo fletch yes he's named after an 80s movie um <laughs> i said fletch how hard was that to make and it's like mom it took two minutes and i said yeah but i still have clients that complain about this so again it's back to the mindset you know you can go pick up a store-bought ranch filled with soybean oil and preservatives. If you can't pronounce the ingredients, I say run in the other direction. But all we do is put that whole milk yogurt, some raw milk cream, some olive oil, a ton of dill, fresh or you know organic ground up, more salt than you think you need, garlic. I love um, fermenting garlic. You can pour the juice from that fermentation. It's the easiest thing to ferment. Mm. Whip it all up. You know, it's two minutes, my kid makes it. And so that's like a great dip. And so he probably is not just going to start eating carrots and peppers and zucchini slices without this dip. And so, you know, for me, hey, there's nothing wrong with that dip. If that's going to help him, you know, perfect. So I think, and, and, and the other tip, I think this is the most really important one, frankly, is getting the kids in the kitchen. Like I have my own nourishment mindset podcast episode where Fletch and I are in the kitchen. I'm sure we'll do another one, but starting early, you know, because you can transfer habits generationally. And when they're part of it, it's fun, you know, and, and now they're, they're learning, they're engaging with you. You know, I'm usually sipping wine, I'll admit, um, but it's just, it's, <laughs> fun, right? And yep. you get to teach them. And so of course, you know, as I said, my poor kitty as a health coach, mom, we're in the store, I want this. No, but I don't just say no. Here's why we're not buying this. And, and so I think just, you know, treating them, I wouldn't say like an adult, but just making them part of the food conversation. You know, now this now we're creating to get back to an earlier concept, your own family food culture or family terroir to use an obnoxious <laughs> term just to go back full circle. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, getting the kids to help cook with you in the kitchen um, and be, having them be a part of it is a big process. I mean, you always talk, uh, there's individuals I've had on um, God, Dr. Bill Schindler. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No, I would love to stuff. be. Yeah. Write his name down. Yeah. He'd be a great guy to have on. I had him on a while back, but you know, he does like all his hunting and, oh, and but he brings yeah. his, his kids are involved and it's, it's a, this, it's like, you know, it's this process. But I think when you understand where your food is coming from, I'm not saying everyone has to do that because I don't go out and hunt, <laughs> but any, any, on any level, if you could be involved with how foods are prepared, you'll realize that cooking at home is not as hard as you think it is. Yes. And right. you know, to me, I always say health starts in your home. 
healing is in your home. You're not going to heal in in a fast food or a restaurant kitchen. And you brought up a really good point, Brian, that, that uh, thank you, um, farms. So another tip for kids and for, you know, us adult children uh, would be find your local farm. You know, we have a farm here called Circle C. They're not even an hour away. They sell, they're, they're not a produce farm. They sell meat, eggs, et cetera. Um, go, go to the farm, you know, see if, you know, you could take your kids, see if they need some volunteer, <laughs> you mm-hmm. yeah. just go there, see the animals, you know, pet the sheep, pet the goats. Goats are super friendly. If y'all don't know, um, our other local farm here is called in Yoni, um, organic farm. And we don't, we, I have actually never been there. Shame on me. They're in Naples, Florida. But they come to our island farmer's market. And so what we do, I just was talking with Fletch about this last night. I said, Fletch, I want to let you know, we just signed up for another farm share. Farmer's market starting up again this fall. Mm -hmm. And so I used the opportunity to say, have you ever heard of a CSA? Do you know what this is? And so then we got to talk about what is community supported agriculture, you know, how mom and dad prepaid. And so how we'll get to go to the farmer's market every Wednesday and pick our allotment and the benefits to the farmer as well as the benefits to us, because we know that they're not using pesticides. So I think just, again, like involving your kids, which that's going to assume that you are thinking about this stuff. So the first step is if you're not thinking about nutrient density and local farms and that sort of thing is just to become aware of what you said. Where does your food come from? What's it made of, you know, and then share that with your, your family in a, I would add non-obnoxious way. <laughs> well, I'll ask you this question because we're getting up towards the end here yeah. that I asked all my um, interviewers is what one tip would you give individuals that are looking to maybe get their body or their minds back to what it once was, you know, 10, 15 years ago? What one tip would you give that individual? Yes. Reversing the clock. So it's it's maybe going to be obvious, but I would say cultivate a nourishment mindset, meaning think about what is my individual environment, aka terroir, what is health affirming in that environment, and what is health depleting. I often talk with clients. Um, I, I randomly have an MBA in finance, right? In a whole nother job world before becoming a health coach. Think of your health like a bank account, okay? So there's a lot of shame when people are struggling. And so sometimes we have this all or nothing black or white thinking. You know, well, I, I had a cookie, so I might as well just order pizza and, and, and roll a co- or a snowball rather. But no, to me, health bank account is this. Every health affirming step you take, whether it's waking up in the morning and grounding or breathing for a few minutes. On a recent episode, you were talking with a guest about waiting to to eat, drink, and even consume blue light and, and other people's email lists for you, um, taking a, a walk around the block making a fresh meal, you know, whatever the health affirming things, you know, pat yourself on the back for each of those. We don't have to be perfect. 
And in that health account, sure, you can make some withdrawals. So if you decide to make a withdrawal, a, a, aka the forbidden cookie, let's make a mindful withdrawal and enjoy the withdrawal and then start making more deposits again versus this on or off good and bad, you know? And so that's why, again, it, it's what's between your ears that really to me is going to be the difference between trotting through life, struggling medication diagnoses and like vitality, right? Cause that's what I want for people. I want vitality which means not suffering from chronic disease. So that's a real long-winded answer. I just, there's so much shame out there. And that's, you know, that's that diet riot culture. So, you know, self-care, self-grace, mindset. Love that. Well, Dixie, thanks for all the knowledge. Favorfat.com. You got a book, The Nourishment Mindset put all these in the show notes and a podcast, the nourishment mindset. And we were saying you have a picture of you and your dog. Yes. Well. Just like you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, is, is, is anything else coming up or any, any other places people need to find you on? I think that's, you know, favor fat has it all. You can go to Amazon to buy the nourishment mindset. If you want a signed copy Maybe mm -hmm. you want to give a gift or have a pithy remark from this straight talking lady. Um, you can go to my website, which you mentioned, Favor Fat, and I, I match Amazon's pricing. I do free shipping uh, as well. So if you for people who want to sign copy, but that's that's basically it. I mean, if, if folks want to subscribe, I have a buy my podcast is bi weekly, and there's a, a short newsletter that goes with that. I try to infuse humor. That's just favorfat.substack.com. So that's it. And I welcome people to submit ideas, feedback. A lot of my best shows come from people with a question, aka how can I nourish my children or get them to eat vegetables? So, mm -hmm. Thank you, Brian. It's been so fun to meet you in person. I really admire that the work that you do. Thanks, Dixie. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. And I'll I know I'm coming on your podcast in a few weeks, so looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. Santé, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine, and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.